text for this morning's sermon is Luke 1, 26 through 56. Luke 1, 26 through 56. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel went from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came and told, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the Lord, and then the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the greeting of your, or for when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Father, I ask that you would grant us faith to trust trust your word, to trust you. Father, I pray that 
Christmas would remind us of your truthfulness, how you're a promise keeper, and how you always keep your word. God, I pray you would help us because I know doubt lies in our hearts, in our sinful nature. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus, right before he was crucified, was standing before Pilate, Jesus said, I have come. So he entered the world to testify to the truth. That was his purpose for coming. Do you remember what Pilate said? Pilate said, what is truth? That's the culture we live in. What is truth? We live in a postmodern culture. It's not popular to believe in propositional truth. That there's a truth outside of ourselves that defines our reality. But the existentialists, the culture of the 60s, which is really the culture that people buy into today, is a culture of what is cool is not propositional truth outside of ourselves that someone could testify to, but rather truth is whatever you make it out to be in and of yourself. You make your own truth. This is so popular. This is the water we swim in, whether we know it or not. If you say you're a seeker of truth, the world will praise you. And if you tell the world you found the truth, they'll want to kill you. They'll hate you. How dare you say there's the truth? What is truth? Is what Pilate said. You see, it sounds so good to be free. This popular culture, this is what it says to our young our young people. I know your grandparents and your parents raised you with traditional values and traditional ideas about what is good and what is right. But let me free you. Let me cut the rope to that anchor so that you can think for yourself, make your own truth, find your own joy. Find your own purpose. You see, it sounds so good. Let the winds take you to where you would go. But it's a lie. If there is no truth out there, there is no purpose for your life. If there's no truth out there, there's no direction. Your your only hope is, is... Great as your mind can conceive truth to be and purpose to be. There can't be any order. See, nobody wants their surgeon to be a postmodern thinker. You know, they cut into you and are just like, what's truth to me today? 
I think I can cut this tendon. I think I can go do this over here. Nobody wants that surgeon. doesn't sound so cool anymore. You don't want your architect to be a free thinker, you know? What do I want to do today? We make our buildings look crazy today, but underneath all this art that looks maybe chaotic is square angles and structure so that the building doesn't fall down and kill people inside it. Jesus came to testify to the truth. Christmas tells us that there is truth and that God tells the truth and that He is the promise keeper. Most of you have heard of the promise keepers before, the conferences for men, where men come and make promises to live godly lives. God used those conferences for a lot of good in men's lives. But those men, every one of them that made the promises, you want to stake your life on their promises? How well have they kept their promises? This week, Thursday, I spend most of my time writing the sermon in that night in our little Advent devotional book, I was amazed uh, on December 8th, uh, John Piper puts an out through Desiring God. Basically, my sermon was his devotional. It was just confirmation about how important it is to realize that our God tells us the truth. Listen to this quote uh, that Piper had. God's truthfulness is a constant in a world of flux. God's truthfulness is the unwavering absolute. If we forsake God's truthfulness, the anchor is up, the rudder is loose, the keel is broken, and the ship of life Political life, social life, educational life, scientific life, family life is simply at the mercy of the wind of human wishes. Thank God for a constant, rock-solid truth. Paul, in Romans 3, told the believers there. He says, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Yikes. God gave the oracles of God, uh, of His Word from Him to the Jews. That could cause us to worry. What are they going to do with them? And then he says, does what if some were unfaithful? What if some of the Jews were unfaithful? They were given God's Word. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Paul's arguing even though the Jews are fallible people, that doesn't neglect God's faithfulness, that He'll preserve His Word. 
God's word be true, though every man will prove to be a liar. You might be wondering, how can we know we have the words of God when Peter and John and Luke, these are fallible men recording the Scriptures. Here's Here's what Jesus said, John 14, to His disciples, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit from whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, Jesus assured them, as I'm sure they're doubting their memory, He's saying, He's not leaving it up to man, the oracles of God. The Holy Spirit will come. He will bring these things to show themselves true. And if you were to do a Bible search on the word fulfilled, you would be absolutely shocked in the Gospels that all that was done to fulfill what was spoken beforehand. I'll just give you a, a real quick rapid fire flavor. Matthew 26, 56. But all this had taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Matthew 27, 9. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. So Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. That fulfilled prophecy. The fact that they divided His clothes and cast lots for them was predicted ahead of time. It was fulfilled, John 12.38, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed and heard from us? In whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Even the unbelief of the Jews was predicted and fulfilled prophecy. John 15.25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus is mocking them. He says in their own law, their own prophets said they would hate the Messiah without a cause. In their own law. It must be fulfilled. Luke 22.37, for I tell you that this Scripture must be fulfilled in Me. And He was numbered with the transgressions, transgressors, for what is written about Me has its fulfillment. He's saying the Scriptures speak of Me. And though you don't want Me to go die, the Scriptures must be fulfilled. Luke 24.44 Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus shows up to fulfill what was spoken of Him and to prove that God is a promise keeper. That He tells the truth. If God says it, it will be. So the charge of this message, what, I, what I'm asking you, it's, one, it's a, it's a one-point sermon with eight truths on the table. 
trust in the God who keeps all His promises. That's what I'm putting forth today, proclaiming what I'm asking you to do. Trust this God. Trust His truth because He's a promise keeper. His Word comes true. So let's look, and we're going to go through these pretty quick at the first point, the promised place. Look at verse 26. We're by no means exhausting this text, but I think you'll be amazed at just Gabriel coming to Mary, telling her of this great miracle that's going to take place through her. I just want you to see all the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, those two places are key. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So, the promised place. What's the significance of Galilee and Nazareth? Well, if you knew the history of this place, this was the first part of of the northern kingdom to be destroyed. When when, uh, they were taken over by the Assyrian army, the first place to receive destruction in 2 Kings 15.29 is this region. In the days of Pekah, the king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Galilee and all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. So first of all, this is a place that's experienced much darkness. But they're the first place to have the bright and morning star, the bright light begin to shine. It's in this place. Isaiah 9 one, the prophet Isaiah, here's what he prophesied. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The very place where Mary and Joseph live, where this promise was first made, was a fulfillment of Scripture. And then we get the promised woman. Verse 28, and he came to her. So, this is the woman betrothed to Joseph who is from the house of David. And she's a virgin. Her name is Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So, we have familiarity. 
Six months earlier, Gabriel showed up to Zechariah. You remember last week? And said, even in your old age, your wife is going to give birth to a son. You should call his name John. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Same Gabriel, six months later, comes to Mary. And he speaks to this woman who is a virgin who's married to someone from the house of David. The fact that she is the favored one specifically are, means that she's chosen of God. She's one who the Lord decided to do this w- with. It's a surprising choice from a worldly perspective. Mary would have been a nobody in the eyes of the world, but she's the favored one of the Lord. Not because she's sinless, not because uh, she's the most righteous person in the land, but she was God's choice, the favored one. She's favored and chosen for what though? What is this woman whom God chose, what what has He chosen her for? And, And this is the promised conception. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, if we're good Bible scholars, there's a whole lot of bright lights that that turn on. Right at the beginning of Genesis, right after man fell and God was explaining the implications of the fall, there's this li- in all this bad news, there's this glimmer of hope. We're to have our ears perked and be ready. Genesis 3.15, God said to Satan, I'll put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. So there's a woman who's going to have children. God already told Adam and Eve, if you sin, you'll die. They sinned, but now there's a, a promise of offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman He said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now that might sound just like a curse, but there's good news in there. There's going to be children born. When they sinned, death didn't come immediately physically. Spiritually, they died in a moment. And the death process began in the world. But God in His grace said, you're going to bear children. So way back at the beginning of the Bible, we're waiting for some woman who's going to give birth to a child that's going to be able to crush Satan's head. And this is amazing to me. 700 years before Jesus was ever born, the prophet Isaiah gives this amazing prophecy. But I just want you to feel the weight of this. Feel how confirmed, how sure we can be of our Bible. The oldest scroll we had of Isaiah was from 1100 AD after Christ. 1100 years after Christ. So if you were a skeptic and you were going to come, 
and say, how do we know Isaiah really said, made these prophetic statements about Christ? The one we're going to look at in a moment here. Well, the cool thing is, archaeology reveals things. In 1947, some Bedouin shepherds discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of which was called the Great Isaiah Scroll. It's the oldest complete copy of Isaiah. And it takes us all the way back to 300 years before Christ was born. Just like, praise God for confirmation upon confirmation. So what did Isaiah say? What did he say 700 years before Christ was born? Isaiah 7.14, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. That's pretty cool. And she'll call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it's a promised conception. And you shall call His name Jesus. You shall call His name Jesus. Remember we talked last week, if God wants to name your children, you might want to figure out what the name means. Well, the name Jesus is equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua. And what does it mean? It means Savior. So, this conception was prophesied. This woman was prophesied. And now this name speaks of whom this Son will be. He will be God with us. And then we see the promised Son of God. Look at verse 32. And He'll be great and will be called Son of the Most High. How do we even comprehend God having a Son? And He's going to conceive this Son through a virgin, through a human. This is unthinkable, isn't it? I just watched the movie Risen and Bartholomew, one of the disciples, is getting questioned by this Roman guard who's trying to find Jesus' resurrected body to prove that the resurrection isn't true. And... Uh, he says, uh, they, uh, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. He says, um, oh, they say, so you're the one, so you're saying that God who created the universe became a man? And Bartholomew's like, apparently so. <laughs> it's almost like, None of us can believe it either, but this seems like this is God's plan. I mean, let's just admit. The angel Gabriel says he'll be called Son of the Most High. In Isaiah 9, just a few chapters after chapter 7, here's, what he, here, here's the good news Isaiah gives to his people. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They'll rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Why? Verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us 
a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called... So, God has a lot of names. Jesus has a lot of names. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We say, okay, He's the Son of God, but He's called Mighty God, so He's truly God. He's also called Everlasting Father. And we come to the Gospel of John and we see Philip. He comes to Jesus and He says, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. If you can just show us the Father, then we'll be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know Me, Philip? Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And in John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So the Jews picked up stones and began to stone Him. They were saying, being a man, do you make yourself out to be God? You really expect us to believe that you're the Son of God? That if they've seen you, they've seen the Father? He's the promised Son of God. And then look at how He's the promised King. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Do you remember from 2 Samuel 7.11 the promise given to David through Samuel? Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house and when your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for My name, and I'll establish His throne and His kingdom forever. I'll be to Him a father, and He shall be to Me a son. He says, David, there's going to be a son that comes from you. His kingdom will not have no end. It'll last forever and He'll be called My Son. Praise God for the promised King. And then in verse 33, He says, and He'll reign over the house of Jacob. So this is the promised King that comes from the house of Jacob. Jacob is obviously from... uh, refers us to the Abrahamic covenant to the promise to Jacob's father, Isaac, that goes back to Abraham. Well, what, 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 what prophecy was that? Genesis 17.6, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout generations for an everlasting covenant to be to you to be God to you and your offspring after you and so Abraham was promised kings from his line David was promised a son and then in verse 34 really is where all this gets practical for us I think And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now if you remember last week, 
you might be going, uh-oh, what's going to happen? Gabriel showed up and said, here's what's going to happen to Zechariah. And Zechariah lost uh, his ability to speak because he didn't believe Gabriel. Let me remind you of what he said. He said, how shall I know this? For I am an older man and my wife is advanced in years. Here's his question. How shall I know what you said is true? Because this seems unbelievable. Mary's question is a little different, though. Mary seems not to be questioning in a way that's saying, give me a sign so I know what you saying is true, but rather she's wondering, how will God fulfill His Word? You see, they can say the same things and one can be doubting and the other can be by faith. Zechariah could say, in a sense, how can this be? And Mary could be saying, how could this be? You see, one's with faith and one's with doubt. And we're going to see in a moment that Mary's is with faith and it's going to be good application to us. But in verse 35, we see more about the promised Son of God. We already have this point, but it comes up again. And the angel said to her, here's how it will happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, will be called holy, the Son of God. He said the Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to miraculously make this conception in your womb. In a sense, He's going to be the Father to this child and He'll be called holy, the Son of God. Different. Holy means cut apart. He'll be called the Son of God. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, miraculously conceived in the womb of Mary a Son that is God's eternal Son. Jesus has always existed. But He's the eternal Son become flesh, a human. So this child will be 100% human. Not a little bit human, plus something else, 100% human and 100% God. This child will be like no other in one sense and be just like us. Because the only thing that can pay the price for our sins is someone like us. A goat can't take away our sins. A goat didn't sin. We need a proper substitute. We need one of our own brothers. We need another Adam to fix what Adam didn't do. And then we see the promised forerunner that we looked at last week, so we're not going to spend much time here. And behold, Mary, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. What a gracious sign 
in an, a, another fulfilled prophecy because we saw last week how John was prophesied. There'd be a forerunner who would come and re- prepare the way of the Lord. And then in verse 38, here's how you know she is different than Zechariah. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She can't believe it. We're going to see in her song in a moment. She can't believe that God would choose the lowly for to give birth to the Son of God. But she receives the message by faith. And look at the promised blessing that she receives. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. This is what I'd do too. Gabriel talked to Elizabeth. I'm going to talk to my aunt here. This is amazing. And, and so she shows up. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby left in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she begins to prophesy. She exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come after, would come to me? She prophesies, My Lord is in your womb. Why would God so grant me to be able to meet the mother of my Lord? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And then she says this in verse 45, Blessed is she. So get that word blessed. Happy. Fulfilled is she who believed. And there's the key. That there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The blessed are the believers who believe what was spoken of the Lord. Do you believe? If you do, you are blessed. Do you believe these things that Luke wrote to us in this Gospel and he says, I've written these things so that you can have certainty? Look at the mercy God shows us. He tells us, He gives us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecy before Christ would come. So that when Christmas morning would come and He would be the fulfillment of all these things, the whole world would know when God speaks, God speaks the truth. There is a truth. When Jesus says, I've came to give testimony to the truth, we can know that He is, in fact, true. And here's my question for you. Are you humble enough to believe? To be saved? Are you hungry enough? You see, only, the, only those who know they're sick will find a doctor. Those who are well, they don't go to the doctor. 
That's why if a disease hits you with no side effects, with, with no symptoms, and cancer's growing and you don't feel it, you can be in big trouble. But those who are sick go to the doctor that they may be healed. Listen to Mary's heart. What does faith look like? Look at her amazement here in this song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Those who are blessed are those who are hungry. Those who are humble and looking for a Savior. And my question is, is that you? And then he says in verse 55, he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the Abrahamic covenant that we've already talked about. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, he is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is in Jesus That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. When we say truly, truly, we say truly, truly when we see Jesus Christ. That's when we know the promises of God are fulfilled. That's when we say amen. Christmas Day comes. These things start to come to fulfillment. Throughout His life, He fulfills all the prophecies about Himself to the point where He dies on the cross and is risen from the dead. All these things were spoken of and it's through Him we say, Amen. You tell the truth, God. Here's how He said it in Romans 15.8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness. How did, how did Christ become a servant to the Jews? To show His truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. When Jesus Christ showed up, He was a gift to the Jews so the Jews would know God keeps His promise. And if God keeps His promise to the Jews, well then that means the promise that from them, their Savior will be a light to the Gentiles, then it's good news for the whole world. I'll give you one more of these. Acts 3.22. Peter says, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me 
from your brothers. So over a thousand years before Christ came, Moses said, there's going to come one like me, another prophet from one of your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. What did Jesus showed up to testify to the truth? And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people and all of the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed of these days. That's, that's amazing. Peter says, remember, Moses said Jesus was coming. Every prophet from Samuel all the way to the end were proclaiming these days. That is the days of Christ. And then in verse 56 it says, And Mary remained with her for three months and returned to her home. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall listening to Mary and Elizabeth's conversation through those three months? Their awe of the mercy of God to include them in fulfilling all these prophetic... I can just imagine they had the Scriptures open going, this is, this is amazing what God is doing. You know, I want to end with this. This morning I was sitting in Caribou Coffee Shop and I saw this uh, lady come in and I, I see her there quite a bit. She comes in and she's got her newspaper in one hand. And she gets her cup of coffee and then she gets her uh, coffee cake and she goes and sits down kind of away from the door where it's warmer. And I just thought, you know, I understand the goodness she's about to get here. You know, she's got what she's going to read. She's got her warm cup of coffee. She's got her coffee cake. You know, she obviously looks forward to this moment. And it's a little parable to us. That news that's under her arm is going to be worthless tomorrow. She's going to need a new one. Right? It's, tes it's testimony to the news that never loses the good news quality. Nothing is ever more relevant than the gospel, the good news. And then she's got her warm coffee. If anyone thirsts, come to me, Jesus says. He quenches thirst. He's bread from heaven. He satisfies. And I'm just like, it is amazing. Everything we love is pointing, is fulfilled in Christ, ultimately. It's all a parable to ultimately show how Christ comes and fulfills it all. He's the long-awaited child promised to Adam and Eve that would be born of a woman that would crush Satan's head. He's the new Adam that will reverse the curse. He'll be the new representative head for a new humanity. Everywhere Adam failed, this new Adam succeeds. And he is Abraham's offspring. He's David's promised son who will be king over David's kingdom. He's finally the Israel that was obedient. He's the one man who actually kept the law of Moses. He is the Messiah promised to Israel that will not only be their Savior, 
but also a Savior and a light to the Gentiles, to the whole world. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. He's sent to save sinners and bring them into fellowship with His Father and bring them back into the garden, the new heavens and the new earth where it's all right again. And what I just did there is just at the base of what Christ all fulfills. Praise God how He puts an exclamation point behind the statement, my word is true. I keep my promises. Father, thank You for the certainty we can have in Your Word. Lord, I thank You that You sent Christ to take care of our biggest problem. Your holiness and Your righteousness and Your goodness is our biggest problem because when we sinned against You, we know that Your justice demands punishment. That there's no way You can shuffle our sins under a rug for then You would fail to be a good and just God. But in Your wisdom and in Your mercy, You sent Jesus so that He could pay for our sins. Lord, thank You. The mercy. Jesus drank our hell for us. Thank You, Lord, for the substitute of Christ. And we thank You that even in Jesus' death, You're proving to the world that You're just and You do punish sin. Father, I pray that there would be no one here that would leave here not clinging to their only hope of forgiveness for sins. Father, I pray that everyone here would know that their sins will be punished either on Christ or they'll pay themselves eternally in hell. Father, have mercy on us. I pray You would give faith to us in certainty in Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.